Sorry, we're closed. All right, welcome back. Talking this morning about is there such a thing as self-made? Because I've seen throughout my time in business, even as a even when I'm not, not when I was in business, when I was a baseball player, you see this all the time when talk, people talk about like entrepreneurs, and you see it a lot when people say like when they talk about billionaires. And how could they, you know, they wouldn't be a billionaire without so-and-so. And, you know, it's an advantage and it's not even playing field, all this good stuff. So I saw this this morning because Sean, you interacted with the tweet, as did our friend Sahil Bloom. And it got me thinking that is there such a thing as self-made? Like, is there... You know, unless you're but outside of the fact of, hey, just family and friends, like if you say, OK, no, you're self-made if it's not just family and friends doing, you know, the in, you know, the help with with money and stuff. Mm-hmm. But is there such a thing like you need other people like you, you can't ever just do it on your completely and totally on your own. So, you know, the stigma around getting help from other people and that you, you got some type of unfair advantage. I think is largely nonsense because I mean I don't think anyone didn't anyone who's ever become anything some people who just have regular jobs needed help to get those regular jobs you know so I just, I don't I don't under, I really don't from the beginning of this conversation at minute 2 in the podcast I am not convinced that there is such a thing that is a self-made person well what is self-made so that's the thing you have to define it first but that's what I say like if you're saying just Family and friends helping you outside of them. If you did it, if you did it with other people outside of them, then you're considered self-made because you had to go make those contacts or what have you. Um, I guess if that's how you're defining it, I don't know of anyone that's done that. But if that's how you're defining, I'm sure there are some people out there that never got help from close friends and family to do it. What are you being made into? No, it depends on who you're talking about. So, like, are we, are we talking about, like, being made into a rich person? Or are we, you know, being made into a highly productive, you know, contributing member of society? Probably either. I could probably make an argument for either person saying that they're not self-made. Well, it's really easy to make an argument that there are people that are not self-made, just rich people. You know, that's their... They're all over the place, right? Like you've, I mean, it's super easy. I won the lottery. I, you know, I got an inherit an inheritance check, a a trust fund. You know, I mean, how many rich kids uh, do we? Well, we don't personally know them, but how many are out there that you know are? And do we? You know, they have the the stigma of what a rich kid is, just a spoiled brat who doesn't really understand the real world, and they grow up with a silver spoon. And, uh, and then they grow up and, you know, they expect the same the same royal treatment uh, and it doesn't quite pan out that way. So I think that from a, a rich standpoint, no, you, you, there are definitely people that are not self-made. And actually, interestingly enough, on the Forbes 400 list, uh, each person on that list has a self-made score. So somebody like 
Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos is a nine, whereas Jeff Bezos's ex-wife is a four. Uh, you know, she's you know she had a role in this thing, but she she did she didn't do the thing. She didn't make the thing. Uh, and so I think that that's a really easy thing to understand. But if you look at somebody like uh, you know a Gary Vaynerchuk who you know started from the bottom, certainly gets help along the way, no doubt. Uh, but now he is somebody who is productive. He is somebody who is a hard worker, who's contributing to the society. He's not just a cog in the wheel, and he's doing and he's doing things. I would argue that he is self-made. But then again, you have to ask yourself: Was he already that from the beginning? I think somebody like Gary V might actually be that person. I think the being really self-made would be like the ultimate gold standard example would be somebody who was an absolute loser, uh, who was good for nothing, uh, lazy, and managed to transform him or herself into, you know, a really successful, valuable person in the world. Yeah, I think the other thing that you have to consider then when defining what is self-made, and you say, you know, the first thing we we thought about is we had to define what are they being made into. I think the other thing you have to define is what constitutes help, because everyone you had to get like let's say let's take Gary Vee for example. Now this is an aggressive case as far as like what help is constituted as, but like would Gary be anything today without YouTube? You know, when he, that's where he started his, his wine library or whatever it was, that he was, those wine videos. Now, you could argue he's the type of person that you might have found another way to do stuff and, and what have you. But, like, there is no such thing as a person who, who woke up and started, do, and started doing all his own research, doing all his own things to come to his own conclusions, then made a platform. Well, even that, you'd have to say that. The Reese, who's the books that he's reading? Well, that's yeah, not him. Well, well, I'm saying you got to go out and literally do your own, oh, your own, own you to actually do the your own research. But you can't speak yeah, you, to anybody else. No, no. Like, like, so, like, there's a, there's gonna be a threshold of where it's the acceptable help is. Like, okay, we don't expect you to have started YouTube, right? Like, you you can use YouTube and you can still be self made. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like this okay, conversation like, is devolving. What I'm saying though is like, where is the line though? Where is the helpline? What help are you allowed to get? Well, like that I was an extreme case. I would say I would say it's the difference in taking and getting. Like it's you know it's the you know somebody who gives me you know a thousand dollars for nothing versus me taking like going and getting it and going to use the platform to do it i didn't have to create twitter but i can use twitter uh i didn't you know i think that that is the difference in in like what you're allowed to use and i mean if you want to be considered self-made okay so so when we're talking about you know again the help that you receive from certain people like if obviously there again we're talking about the threshold here of, of where what help you're allowed to do. so like say for example jeff bezos he's an easy example you know people talk about 
uh, well, if my parents, I think it was $200,000, my parents would give me $200,000 to start a company. I could do great things too. I was never given that. And it's like, well, he was given it, but they got equity. They're, and now they could be billionaires, I'm not sure, but they're very, very fabulously wealthy. Yeah, you ain't starting Amazon, though, if your parents give you 200K. Of course not. Of course not. But they're going to they're gonna make the argument that well, I could have started something good or at least had the opportunity to. So like, but is is Jeff Bezos considered self-made? He he received a, he received something from his parents. I don't know if they originally got equity, if or if that came down later. I, it, from the stories I've read, it seems as though they immediately got equity in the company. But does does that is that considered self-made? Well, I don't think I don't think I think the two are separate because when you say self-made, I'm looking at the self. I'm looking at the individual. I'm looking at the person. So I'm looking at Jeff Bezos as being somebody who is talented, skilled, uh, you know, productive, like all those things. Like he has, he is made into a person that can become that level. When he gets the gift, it's just the accelerant for for that for that thing. So he would have been previously self-made prior to receiving the gift. The gift only exposed who he was. If he wasn't self-made, then the gift would have he would have he would have blown the money. Uh, we see that stuff on Shark Tank all the time, uh, where somebody comes in and they've raised this crazy valuation because they've already they've already raised all this money, uh, and they ask him, well, what happened to all the money? And they say, oh, it went into R and D, it went into marketing, it went into product research, like whatever. Uh, but like that person wasn't self made. But then you get somebody else in there who's like, yeah, I've, I have no debt on the company. I've you know I've I've bootstrapped this entire thing. I've learned SEO. I've learned marketing. I've learned these things. And this person is self made. So when Mark Cuban gives him a hundred thousand dollars. Now he can go out or she can go out and create this really good company because they're already self-made. The gift in itself is is just exposing who, whether or not or to what degree you are self-made. Okay. You know, I agree with you. I, I, I think that you're – I think you're right in what actually is self-made and what's not. And you, we ha- you, know, you have this argument – not so much – you don't really have this argument – you see this argument happening all the time on Twitter and, and you know, again, you know, in the, especially the political debates, especially anytime you talk politics, you know, it seems to people, it's a rabbit hole. People dive down and they end up somehow into hating billionaires. But I think what we're kind of getting at here is is you're allowed to get things. It's more so the the personality of that person is what's going to define if you if you're self-made or not so when you go talk about and you said earlier about the people with the silver spoon it's they can still receive the silver spoon if like say for example donald trump he's obviously pretty you know i know he's been he's bankrupt bankrupt a few companies uh i think i think a lot of people will bankrupt companies like that's, that's not as i used to think that was like the worst thing ever uh but you know, bankrupting is you can be strategic with that type of stuff. So I didn't realize that until I got older. But I, and I still don't know all the ins and outs of what, how, why he got bankrupt companies. He could have ran shit companies. It didn't seem like Trump Air was doing that great <laughs> or Trump University. Um, but he, you know, he certainly continued on the legacy of real estate from his father. And you would you would say that he had a, a silver spoon in his mouth uh, from a young age. But the real estate portfolio, as far as I know, I haven't done a tremendous amount of research on it, but it doesn't seem, anytime people talk about his failures, they never talk about the real estate that he owns. True. But I also, and, you get, when you look at Donald Trump, like the, the, like he certainly had the opportunity to be a silver spoon, have everything handed to him. And 
I mean, he's clearly he's clearly successful. Like whether you like him or not, like he's clearly successful. He clearly knows what he's doing. He's clearly a hard worker. Anybody you talk to talks about how much of a you know brutally honest and savage businessman that he is. Like he certainly had the opportunity to to be one way, but I don't think that he is. Like I think that you know if Donald Trump is born into a different family with the same with the same. Uh, you know, type of person that he is. I think he still finds success regardless. Maybe not to the degree that he's had it. Maybe he's not a multi-billionaire. Maybe he doesn't have skyscrapers in New York City. But he's still going to find the success because he is that person. I don't think, I don't think that, I, you know, I think that, I think that the success or, you know, the accolades is independent of the person. I think it's automatic. It just depends on uh, to what degree and in what industry. Like I said, so it seems as though the self-made thought process here is more so more having to do with who you make yourself into, not so much you know starting Amazon or having skyscrapers. It's did you make yourself into the person that you are that allowed you to be this successful? Yeah, think about all the hands that you shake, right, and the people that you've met and what you've been able to do with with you know leveraging those connections and those handshakes whereas you know some of our friends and some people that we know what would they do with those handshakes you know and you know i think that that and that's 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 the difference it's not like oh well you know this person you got it like i know people uh but i you know that did i use them properly did i use them for to my advantage did i do it did i let to create that relationship the right way and so on and so forth i think that I think that's that's the entire difference of what's self-made and what's not. Well, here's a question for you. Let's, let's talk about me, for example, because we were on the topic. Now, I, not that I can remember as a, as a young kid that I somehow I somehow developed this personality where people seem to enjoy having a drink with me uh, or or spending some time with me. I seem to be trusting. People seem to trust me. I don't remember ever trying to be that person. It kind of just kind of came to me. So that's almost like the Gary V thought process. What you're kind of talking about is where Gary was kind of born this way, mm-hmm. this 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 insano human being, <laughs> who psychopath, <laughs> who is going to post. You know, I think he said he posted videos on YouTube for like four years before he ever hit. Uh, but he was, and if YouTube didn't exist, Gary would have found another way. You know, there, and it's almost like, kind of what you're saying here is, it's almost like inevitable for most the people that are going to do it are gonna find a way and the people that aren't gonna do it are gonna i'm not gonna say like find an excuse out of it or anything like that, that's not necessarily true in all cases but are go aren't aren't just gonna find that way to figure it out they're they're not they're not gonna get there it's they might kick it might still some might get there but we're talking about like these guys this one percenters no matter what the help they might get, whether like it's Gary with YouTube and stuff like that, they're going to find a way to become the person that they're supposed to be because it's just ingrained in them or they are putting in extreme work to become the person they need to become in order to do those things. Right. Wow. Well, I mean, it, when he, when he, these, these self-made people, you're talking about like a Tony Robbins. What did Tony Robbins do, Sean? Because you're a Tony Robbins guy, as am I, but not, not to quite to the extent that you are. What, what did, when Tony got started, didn't you say he was like, like talking about snakes or something? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, when Tony is, is, a, is a, 
interesting example of this because he was somebody who came from a broken home. Uh, he had like several fathers in and out of the house. His mother would beat him. Uh, and like they were like incredibly poor, didn't have money for food on the table. One of his big stories is like how a stranger came to his door on Thanksgiving and like bought, brought them, brought him and his family a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, and he was like really poor for a while, had no money, a lot of debt, all this stuff. Uh, and he just kind of had that moment where, you know, things turned around and he didn't want to live like this anymore, which a lot of people, a lot of successful people seem to have gotten that. Uh, and then it just kind of, motivated him and spurred him on to becoming the person that he is today. When he first started, he was, uh, yeah, he was like curing people of snake phobias at like hotel ballrooms around California and like challenging uh, psychologists and psychotherapists to bring in your most difficult patient and I will cure them in 10 minutes. Uh, and, you know, he was doing like radio shows and generating this buzz as being this like, kind of crazy guy. He did these infomercials and uh, he started, you know, became very well known for this like these like crazy stunts that he was doing. And uh, I think like the snake phobia thing happened to be on live television or something. And that was the thing that spurred him into the infomercials, which brought him into gave him a distribution platform, brought him into every household in America. Uh, and then he started creating these courses uh, to help people unleash the power within. So I think he is like somebody that's like, uh, you know, you look at him and you're like, okay, this is somebody who is uh, quote unquote self-made. Like he was nothing. And then he conditioned himself to become a successful person and a contributor, a positive contributor to society. I, I think that, I think that he's a, he's a pretty good example of, of that, the other thing I'll mention, though, just kind of off the tangent, because I, w- I want to hit it before you get to the Gary V thing, is it's like, like it, it, you can even look at you and I, like you and I are v- incredibly different people, right? And there had to be some sort of trigger in our in our upbringing that led you down the path of being, you know, a, a big time networker, and me being more of a like a put your head down, work, hustle, do that kind of stuff guy, uh, and. You know, when you look at the, the development of the brain over the course of, you know, a lifetime, you know, from zero to, I want to say like 35, like your brain goes through these processes of, of evolution, of learning opportunity. That's why you've, you've heard people say like when you're really young, that's a really good time. To, it's really easy to learn a new, new language because your brain is in that state. It's very malleable. You're learning new things. You're a blank slate. You're like getting all these new associations and connections in the brain. And when you get to 35, like it's, you're, you're, you're not set in stone, but it is, da- it is significantly harder to change. It's significantly harder to, to, uh, you know, become somebody different. So, you know, when you're young, when Gary's young, when, when you were young, like things, events happen. And if you want, we can like pull these out. We can see certain events that may, we talked the other day about how I can't eat a Wendy's chicken nugget anymore because I one time had one, got a big headache and threw up. It's completely ridiculous. It's not the Wendy's chicken nuggets fault. It was just whatever happened on that day. But that event led me to this behavior. And it's who I am. I'm 35 and I still don't eat Wendy's chicken nuggets. And we can go as deep as we want on stuff like that. So I think that the development of like what happened when you're a kid uh, generally molds you into you know the behaviors and the personality that you are watching your parents you know I was watching Ryan my me and Patrick's nephew uh, you know a weekend ago and he was sitting in his little high chair eating and when he was ready to get up he just threw his hands up in the air and I was like man I wonder how I wonder how that's going to translate that like this this pattern is being ingrained into his uh 
into his mind. Like in 10 years or 15 years, are we going to see him at college? And he's just like, when he finishes his meal, he just puts his hands up in his air. He's like, I'm out of here. And it's like subtle. It's weird. It's a personality quirk, but it was something that developed from, you know, very, very early on. So I think that we got to look at, you know, for people like Gary, people like you, certain personality traits, it's, it's what's happening really, really early on. And uh, when you're, when your brain is soaking up all that information. Yeah, and here's another thing for you, and this is something I'm curious about from a neuroscience standpoint, which these 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 seemingly uh, podcasts are turning into me just interviewing you. But <laughs> the, I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on the relationship to having siblings, being the youngest, being the middle, being the oldest? You see a ton of people talk about stuff like this and how there's certain, you know, we, well, if you're the youngest, you are 43% more uh, successful than the oldest child. And if you're the oldest, you're usually 33% smarter than the, you know, whatever you see all the time. Like, wh- what relationship, you know, like when, I, when, I, when I'm born, I'm the third, I'm the youngest. I have you and, my, and our older sister. And, you know, what relationship does that have to like I'm immediately almost thrusted into social situations with you guys or more, at least probably more social situations than the oldest would be the oldest is only kind of talking it has the, the adults but you know I'm interacting with kids close to my age pretty quickly is you know, I wonder if there's any correlation as far as you know developing maybe social skills or or anything quite like that just to being thrust into situations much more quickly you know, I always thought we always talk about sports in that way where where like, you know, when I'm pl- I played basketball against you and, and Colleen way more than any any like any of the rec leagues. I played in some rec leagues, but like just like any normal kid. But I played against you guys like every day. So then when I would go play against, I'd have to learn how to score on you guys, even though I wasn't allowed to be blocked, which I didn't realize as a kid. <laughs> but I would learn how to score on you guys or do my best to learn how to score on you guys. And then when I faced a kid my age, it was like, I, this is a joke. And it's like, I wonder if there's other things that I can attribute, you know, some of my personality traits or some of my you know, kind of how I go about my life to being the youngest um, in a house of three and, and learning different things from a, not just a, an athletic standpoint, but a personality standpoint. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically when you're born, you're, you're a blank slate. There's part of your brain. It's called the neocortex and it's like the filing cabinet and it's where all of your, uh, it's all where all of your memories are stored. And one of the, the, the our favorite way to learn is we call associative learning. So if I were to tell you, uh, if I were to tell you, See, let's think of a good example here. Okay, so I use, I think I said this on Twitter the other day. Like photosynthesis is a is like a meal for plants, right? And what it really is is it's sunlight coming into the receptors or whatever, and like it goes through a process and it becomes fuel and food for the plant. Uh, and but like when you look at the scientific process of it, you're like, well, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about. But when you say it's a meal for a plant, it's like eating dinner for for a sunflower. It's like, oh, like I totally get that. So the the connection, the neural connection inside of your neocortex for meal, it create it literally creates a branch off of that neuron and creates a new synaptic connection. So whenever you see, whenever you hear photosynthesis, you go back to. 
you go back to like dinner or meal, and that whole neuron, that whole branch, the, 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 there's a cell in your in your brain called the Purkinje cell, and it's just like all these bajillion different connections uh, inside of the brain, and it all will light up at the same time. So when like that's that's how we're learning every day so we're making these connections but when you're born you don't have any of those connections to be made so you're forming all of these things and then each new thing that you learn gets formed off of those previous branches so when you come into the world like all you care about is meeting your needs initially it is sleep and it's eat like that's pretty much there's probably other things but those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head. It's sleep and eat, and how do I meet these needs? And then it's like love, like how do I get the affection from my parents? And it's you, you see Ryan right now, just like reach for reach for Colleen or reach for Mark, and because he's trying to meet those needs. And and as you're as you evolve, like you're continuing to find new ways to meet those needs. So maybe initially you 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 want like affection from the family and you're looking at me, you're looking at Colleen, you're looking at the family, you're looking at how we're doing it and how we're achieving it. And then you're just modeling that. One of the other things about the brain is that really early on in childhood, there's these things called mirror neurons that are super active. Uh, And those mirror neurons are literally just looking at the world and will copy you. That's why when people like look at Ryan and he start clapping. Oh, by the way, guys, Ryan's our god or my godson, our nephew. He's one years old. And if you just look at him, you start clapping. He just starts clapping, right? He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's just his mirror neurons are activated. So you're just your experience coming in as a third child uh, is going to be completely different than mine, than Colleen's, than uh, than other people's because there's different environments. So you're going to make different connections, and then the associations that are bridged off of those connections are going to be different and then it's just like this compounding effect of like whoa we started with this one thing and we got all the way here now you've got this whole personality that we never would have suspected happened but it's because every just can't replicate uh, the experiences that somebody has growing up you know it's interesting when you when i listen to these types of things and i and i I like take them all in. It's like I, I, you know, my brain goes a bunch of different directions, and you know, I'm you know, I when I originally started asking that question, I said, well, you know, me, you know, hanging out with kids my age or close to my age very quickly. What are my, what it, what is my, you know, why am I developing differently, or you know, why did you develop differently than Colleen? Uh, and it's interesting because, of course, like when I like, as a, as a as an infant, you know. The way you react, or you and Colleen would hang out with me, probably. I don't, I don't remember how the hell you did that. But the way you guys hung out with me was probably very different the way, than the way mom and dad did, or grandma and grandpa. So I'm going to be being thrown, especially the way Colleen, well, Colleen's only one year older than you, so you yeah, but the way that Colleen interacted with you when you were a kid it was much different than the way I had to interact with you. Uh, you were a loose cannon. And so, so when you when you have these different ways of like interacting, of course I'm going to develop differently. Of course, Ryan, you know, if Ryan has ends up having siblings, uh, of course Ryan's, you know, that sibling probably will grow up different than Ryan did, and because Ryan will interact with that, you know, sister or brother in a very different way. He's you know, Ryan's really mi- minus the some interactions he has with. Um, Lisa's child, a friend of ours, um, he's really only interacting with adults yeah. at all times, pretty much. And most of the adults 
pretty much act the same way. If you look around the room, you know, when we go to Christmas this year, and you see, you know, our uncles, our aunts, and, and you know, grandma, mom, and dad. You know, when you see all of these people, they're all going to interact with with Ryan almost the same exact way. Very, you know, subtle differences, but for the most part, the same ways. But then you throw a, let's say, you threw a four year old in there, going to going to act with that baby probably much different than than what the adults will. The adults are going to fawn all over the thing. The four-year-old might not, and then the infant, without even knowing, wants the four-year-old's attention. So now the infant then goes and does certain things to try to get the four-year-old's attention to hang out with him or her. And now that, you know, whatever, neuroplastic, whatever the hell word you use, <laughs> a new, new little branch has been formed now and trying to figure out how to interact with these people. Whereas, again, Ryan might not have that because he never had to deal with that as a kid. He might not have, I mean, maybe he gets it later in life, but, uh, you know, he just, something else has been formed at an earlier age. Um, so there, there is certainly as, as, you know, as I work through this myself, cause I have never studied neuroscience, but it's seemingly, there is certainly a huge difference, maybe not a huge difference, but certainly differences when, when actually, you know, when you sit down and think about whether or not you're the youngest or the middle or the oldest, you know, the way you grow up there is, is going to be different for each person. Uh, and just the simple fact that you have older siblings that are close to age, you know, you're going to develop differently because of that, which is interesting. And I wonder how that ends up leading to different, you know, you know, different. I can go, even go as far back as going into Mr. Rooney, the principal's office at Conover Road. And I walked, I got in trouble at kickball because me and Matt Jernick got into a, a verbal argument. He then manhandled me and pushed me to the ground. <laughs> and I remember walking into them, and me and Matt, you know, it was a, a kid argument. And then by the time we are walking, by the time, you know, they blew the whistle to us and they walked us in, me and Matt were fine. And he's like, oh, we're going to get in trouble. I was like, don't worry about it. My brother knows the Mr. Rooney. <laughs> As if, like, you were a mob boss. Right. You were a fourth grader. You know? <laughs> he doesn't care about his his connect with the fourth graders. Like, oh, I got, you know, <laughs> that would be really disturbing if he was like, oh, you're <laughs> Sean's brother. Yeah, I know. You know. Sean got me this big real estate project over in Matawan. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I can't go against him. But I remember walking into Mr. Rooney's office with a big smile on my face and being like, I got this. And then, you know, even in that young age, feeling as though I had a network of people that would help me. And that, oh, don't worry about that. I got this one. And then Mr. Rooney proceeded to yell at me because how the hell could you get in trouble walk into my office with a smile on your face? And then I quickly realized that my network was meaningless in this situation. <laughs> but it's interesting. Colleen would, wouldn't have dreamed of walking into a principal's office. First, I don't know if she ever had to. But she wouldn't have dreamed of walking into the principal's office at a young age with a smile on her face thinking that her network got her. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I felt as though, you know, my mob boss brother, <laughs> who was in fourth grade, had hooked Mr. Rooney up with some, some deals where yeah. he didn't have to wor- I didn't have to worry about this. And it makes you wonder, I- like, maybe with, like, mom and dad, were, was I – did I kind of show you the ropes and had to avoid getting in trouble or something like that? Or did I, like, smooth talk you, you know, off the edge a few times or something like that? And maybe you thought it would just 
carry right over into into Mr. Rooney's office. Mr. Principal Rooney's office, which I wonder what he's doing nowadays. Probably the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> probably just a different school. Dude, he's probably not like a Pilates instructor. <laughs> That'd be great if he was, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really didn't like the principal thing. I really, <laughs> I went Pilates, my passion. Um, no offense to any Pilates instructors there, but <laughs> it is. I, I love this neuroscience stuff because you just don't. You always feel as though, like, oh well, no, like, like some people will say. Let's say they, they say the difference between us. Let's say you become a massive failure, Sean. Okay. <laughs> right. People will like. People will say that either I got help or what have you or whatever. But there, uh, you know, you could from a very basic standard, you just be like, "Well, Pat went out and was shaking hands and doing this and doing that." But people don't realize that these things are often ingrained in us at an early age, and that it's not just, "Oh, well, in my twenties, I grinded, right? I uh, I was I was out here and I was doing this, I was doing that." Like that certainly helps a ton, but. You know, it's not always just the thing that helps you get to the next level. Well, I think the grind. I think the grind helps for the people who are who need to be self-made. I think that, like, you know, you talk about Mr. Rooney experience. I remember one of my earliest childhood memories, and I'm sure you had the exact same memory. Only I was the only one who actually did something about it. uh, Where CBA camp, like sixth grade. Where the you remember two clap, uh, and it was of like co- it was like Coach Aber was the other guy, uh, like Coach Aber. Coach Aber was the yes you do. He was the guy, he was the old guy with the white hair from LaSalle Academy. Okay, yeah, yeah, I vaguely I can't remember his face. Yeah, it was two clap right. and this guy. They both came down from LaSalle Academy. Uh, I remember to two teach. clap. Yeah, everybody remembers two clap. Uh, and so me and Patty went to this, this camp, basketball camp. It was at our high school CBA uh, when we were young. It was like the it was like the go to camp in town. Uh, and they would bring these these guys, these two coaches, two high school coaches down from LaSalle Academy in Manhattan's where uh, Ron Artest, Metal World Peace went. Uh, God Sham God uh, was another guy who <laughs> who went to, to that school, a couple NBA guys. And, I mean, to us, that's like God status. Uh, and they're telling us, they're giving us this, like, this generic speech about how to become successful in basketball and how you make it to the NBA. Uh, and they're telling us about Ron Artest, Metal World Peace. Uh, and they're telling us how he, you know, would come to the school at five o'clock in the morning, and he would work out. He would stay after school, and he'd work out. He'd go to the basketball courts at night, and he'd stay till ten p.m. He's like, and they gave this whole speech about, you know, it's the crap. You know, this everybody's heard this speech some in some form or another, where it's like you got to outwork and out hustle everybody else. And as a sixth grade kid, this is the first time I've been exposed to this level of content. So I thought this guy was dropping dime. I thought this guy was dropping gold nuggets on me. I thought he was telling me literally how to make it to the NBA because. Ron Artest at the time was the NBA player. And I was like, holy, holy shit, like this guy's giving me the blueprint. And he's like, okay, you, you know, your friends ask you to go to the beach. Can't go to the beach. Uh, you got to work out. Friends want to go to the movies. Can't go to the movies. Got to work out. So my friends would ask me to go to the movies and go to the beach with them, and I would think it was my opportunity to make it to the NBA. So I would go. I'd be like, no, here we go. Like I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my drills. And, and it became this thing that I just always did. I was a hard worker and I grind because that's how I always – Found achievement is how I became a decent basketball player in middle school. It's how I became a, a decent basketball in high school. It's how I literally willed myself into Division One college basketball from from doing those things, and it just became who I am over time. 
And uh, I have no idea why I started to tell that story, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I know it had something to do with what we were talking about. What the hell were we talking about? The grind. Oh yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah so go, like, so like, really the 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 grind for pe- for <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get myself back on track here. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how I. I, I, I remember yeah. the grind, but I don't remember how I trans how I was going to transition from that story over <laughs> to this thing. But what the grind really is is it's it's it's, it's for like people that need to be self made. The the adversity, like if you're lazy, you're not just going to be like tomorrow. I am never going to be lazy again. <laughs> Uh, it, I mean, I mean, maybe somebody's done that before, but I, I don't understand. You have to go through like the challenges and the adversity, and that's how human beings change. Like we don't just change; we have to be confronted with some t- sort of crisis or some like major obstacle or challenge, and that's the thing that you know awakens this beast within. And then you and and like so, the grind I think is more important for people who are not already this the skill that they're trying to get. They're not already you know, I don't know, productive. They're not already accountable. They're not already disciplined enough to do the things that they're trying to get to. And that's how life usually teaches you the lesson. And it's through that grind, it's through the hustle, it's through that adversity. You want to hear something funny? Yes. <laughs> so you talk about losing a train of thought. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, minus that last portion. Losing train of thought. I... We had gotten on this story. These, these, we're talking here, and we're going through like whatever it was early in the episode. You said something and finished your thought prior to when I thought you might finish your thought. <laughs> and I had nothing. <laughs> and so you, didn't, you might not realize this, but so what I did was all right, here, I'm going to figure this out. And I just go, yeah, well. Tell me about Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> that, that 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 is the podcast in a nutshell. A lot of times we, I, a lot of times I can like feel us getting to that point where it's just like I'm pretty sure he's got nothing after <laughs> after this. I'm like pull up honestly, my iPad. Honestly, when I do, and this is what I, I give so much credit to guys like Jared Carabas. I mean, Carabas has been doing it for way longer than me and you have, but. I talk. I, I mean, Jared Krebs's episode, uh, other podcast. The only one other other podcast I listen to on the regular, and it's mainly because I'm in it. Uh, but I only listen to the episodes I'm in because I'm currently doing them. That's when I'm listening to them. I don't listen to them outside of when I'm recording. But I give him a ton of credit because he's got a panel when it's the full show. It's me, Tyler, um, Pete himself and oftentimes guy coley and then we have the producer jake who he, he brings in every now and again just to kind of say a few words and you don't realize it at least me and you realize it but like people that don't haven't done podcasts and stuff like that or even like you know, i'd look at a, a girl like um uh I, let me see here i like lauren gardner over at mlb network or you look at let's see uh, who else is over there you have uh, sierra santos you know you, you have these these hosts that i've done these shows with and you, it is a talent to listen to somebody and be able to immediately continue the flow of the show in another direction somewhere else. And, like, I remember when I was on the show with Lauren or Sierra, or even Jared, where, you know, it's like he'll be listening to you, be listening to you, and then he'll have something ready to go. And you're like, well, hold on now. Pat, you've been, you've been in the show. You've done this from a player's perspective. What's going on here? 
and, and and do these things. But something I, for the most part, we're able to do it. But a lot, oftentimes, you get stuck. You're sitting there. You're like, I get, I have no idea what I, what's the next thing to say. I feel like we've finished this conversation. But when I'm on that other show with Jared, it's a f- sometimes it's a four hour episode, and a lot of times you're just you're bullshit and stuff like that. But it's 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 impressive to me when I watch you know these hosts of these shows be able to go into these episodes and be able to do that really really well <coughs> without much you know breaks in the episodes without much you know you know really any type of stuttering through you know and I'm not saying like stuttering in your speech but like stuttering through or stumbling through the the show and trying to figure out exactly what to say or who where to go to next. Uh, or anything like that. It's it, you know when I you know stumble my way through things, I, I often like you know that's impressive stuff. I don't know how they do this. And then I, I only have to go back to you. Like I guess maybe if I had three other people, I I might have more ideas of I can go somewhere else, somewhere next. But well, how many episodes know, I, do you think he's done about the Boston Red Sox? How let's put it this way: How long has he been putting content out about the Red Sox? Oh, uh, man. Um, he 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 started off as a he made his own blog. Um, I at the very least a decade, okay. and I would say he's got to be pushing. You know, he's he's a year older than I am. I'm thirty, about to be 31, 31 32. I, he's been he's got to be pushing it out in his probably his mid teens. I had to, I would have to wow. guess. Okay, so we'll keep on the trend here of of neuroscience because this actually fits in extremely well is there is a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. Uh, And what this system does is it prioritizes all of the input in your world and makes you aware of the things that are most important, right? Because there's a gazillion pieces of input coming in through your senses at any time. There's little sounds happening in, you know, in the background. There's the computer. There's the phone. There's the stuff going on outside the window. There's the temperature. There's the clothes that you're wearing. There's all sorts of input, but you don't feel the sweatshirt that you're wearing. Uh, it's, just, it's just there. Your, your reticular activating system has tuned that out. If you've, if, to, to give you an example of what that's like, have you ever bought like a new sweatshirt and all of a sudden you're seeing other people wear that sweatshirt? You're like, oh my God, everybody has a sweatshirt. I buy a new car and all of a sudden I see the Hyundai Tucson all over the place, right? That's because you now have tuned your RAS to let your brain know that this thing is important to you. It's meaningful. So now you're, it's like raising your awareness to these things when it comes into your mind. Whereas it was always there, you just never really paid attention to it. Now it's important to you. When somebody like Jared is putting out content for 10 years uh, over and over and over again, blogs, podcasts, interviews, social media posts, what it's really doing is it's tuning up his reticular activating system to let him know what things are important in his world. So when he's on a podcast and somebody says, you know, you know, I think that I think that I think that the locker or the clubhouse for the Red Sox is a little shaky this year. His RAS signals one thing or another, lights up that whole neuron, the Purkinje cell that we were talking about before through the associative learning, and it branches off into this entire other section. It makes him remember this story that he did back in 
you know, 2017. And it reminds him of that, you know, what it felt like to do that and how many, how many people liked that story and things like that. And it's this whole, you know, neurological Christmas light show. Uh, and it reminds him of this next thing. And it's just because he's really tuned his brain and conditioned the synaptic connections in his brain to want that thing versus you where you're over there. You spend most of your day uh, doing business stuff or playing video games and your your reticular activating system is tuned up to find uh, good connections and good network and good deals whereas his is red sox 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 so again like it really that's why i'm so fascinated with neuroscience because it's everything when it comes to life i mean that is so essentially when jared is because jared has been pushing out you know he's doing baseball too, obviously, but you know Red Sox for the majority of his of his life, because he's been pushing out this kind of content for this long. When he when his you know Morangi system goes off, <laughs> when that's, his, way, way, that's way off, way off. When his you know whenever that thing lights up, his brain is allowing him to recall so many different things, so many different times, so that he might not stumble as much through a podcast. Because, because he's got a database out there yeah. in his brain of so much material from the Red Sox that the moment that something sparks something, his brain has it in an instant. And he can, he can now relay that, that into the podcast and without any hesitation whatsoever and be able to seamlessly interact. And I would say, let's say it reminds him of a story with me back when I was playing. And he has that immediately, whereas I might not have that because my life isn't Red Sox. He'll have that story in a heartbeat and be able to now interact with me on that podcast and me be able to go, oh, yeah, of course I remember that. And, and we go through it together. But it's because it's been over time for so long that he's just going to be so much better at this than other people will be as far as we're creating a Red Sox podcast because it's just over and over and over and over again. His library is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the moment something sparks something, it's as if he can go to, in that library of stuff. He can go to the exact page immediately in under a millisecond to that page of, of a story and be able to recite it immediately. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the entire brain, especially wild. The, the neocortex in the brain, which is like the sickest part of the brain. It's why we're so smart as humans. Uh, it works off of sequence. So like you have all of these memories that are stored deep inside of your neocortex that at, as of this very moment, you don't have access to. But it can be triggered by an input or something. Like if you smell, like there's certain smells that like, it, it reminds me of like grandma's house. Like I smell and I'm like, oh my God, it's grandma's house, right? But like I can't really bring that up in my mind. I'm not thinking about it until it's triggered. My favorite example of this is, you know, whatever, like, who, if you guys are listening out there, what's your favorite song of all time? Mine is These Boots by Eric Church. Uh, and so whenever you have your song, or if you don't have a favorite song, think of a song that you know all the words to. And now what I want you to do is start singing it from the second verse. And what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to just pick up on the second verse. You're going to go, like for me, for these boots, I'm going to go, these boots counting off many bands, and I'm going to go through the entire first verse in the chorus, and then when I get to the second verse, I'm going to go, these, oh, these boots counting off, and then I'll be able to go. And the reason is, is because the melody, the lyrics, one thought, one thought triggered, one input triggered the release of that information and that file in the brain it was always there 
but you didn't necessarily have it activated. So when he's on the podcast, when he's, you know, seamlessly going through this, when somebody is on air or doing an interview or they're just good in social situations, one thought leads to the next, which leads to the next, which leads to the next. So when you hear Jackie Bradley Jr., Jackie Bradley Jr., boom, like unlocks this whole storage, you know, storehouse of files and information. And it's Jackie Bradley Jr. and Pat Light. And now these two neural networks are combining to access this entirely unique niched uh, section of the brain. And then you can even dive into people that have access to their, like people that have access to these files versus not having access to the files based on the way that you're currently feeling and the state that your brain is in. Uh, it is a crazy, crazy world. But if you tune the brain, if you tune your brain the right way, you can do whatever you want. Like you can, it is, it is crazy. You can literally completely change who you are as a person if you understand neuroscience and are committed to actually doing something about it it is all it is all just connections inside of your brain all right so let's talk another one here let's dive a little bit deeper is when i was playing baseball don carmen who you know for those of you that don't know listening at home don carmen i've mentioned him a few times but don carmen is the uh that he was at least i'm pretty sure he's still doing it he was the like the um, sports psychologist head sports psychologist for scott Porce. so he worked with me quite a bit and one of the things you say, I still have it on my phone right now. And let me, I want to bring it. I, wish I, want, I don't want to listen to music. Hopefully you can still hear me, right? Yeah, because uh, I'm in music. I just want to make sure it doesn't just go off. But he told me one time, similar to what you're saying, is talking about music. And, and it's, yeah, this is what it's called. It's called high school. It make a playlist of a bunch of your favorite songs from high school. And because he, he was like, when, do you, when did you feel that you're most like dominant? And I was like, well, high school, yeah. I was, there was just no, to, like, I, I, I didn't always pitch my best in high school. Like, I wasn't always, like, great. But, like, I never lost a game when I, my junior and senior year. So, like, I, I just, I, I almost knew that I was going to beat you before I was out there. Uh, and he, so he used to say, he was like, do this. And it, it, it almost, he said it would bring up feelings and bring you back to that time of when you were that person. And I'm curious, and that's a very, very simplistic. He obviously is not going to dive into what he, any of the information that he's researched. He knows I don't give a shit about it. But as I've gotten older, I obviously do. When you, when you dive a little bit deeper for that, uh, uh, Sean, since you did just, did just go through music, uh, and I know me and you have talked a lot about music over the time and smells, but dive a little bit deeper into that and how that might be able to help someone get back to that part. Yeah, so basically the way that the brain works is when an input comes into your brain, so like music, uh, it shoots up into your neocortex and looks for the files related to this uh, input. So it's, you know, the first song that I thought of was uh, Nelly. What does it take to be number one? Number one. Right? Like I, that's, I think I was listening to that in middle school, like before my, before my travel games. Uh, but so we take that, we take that song, we put it up into the... Uh, uh, you put it up in the neocortex, and the neocortex finds the file, it brings it back up, and then what it wants to do is it wants to release chemicals into your brain and your body to produce an action, right? Uh, so, for example, like if it was – if we saw – if somebody walked into our apartment right now with a machine gun, that would go into our neocortex. We would – it would release these chemicals, and the chemicals' goal would be to get us to run or fight this guy or 
uh, just somehow find ourselves in in a good in, in safety. So if I listen to Nelly, that goes up into my brain. It releases these chemicals. It remember it fi- finds that brain. It remembers playing at you know Bayshore Middle School and hitting the game winner, uh, and everybody was pumped about me. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that because these chemicals are now coming out, and the chemicals are supposed to reinforce whatever the desire is. So in that case, it's reinfor- reinforcing the good feeling. So I should do more of those things as opposed to. When I, you know, burn myself on a hot stove, it is reinforcing me, do not do these things anymore. So by asking you, like, what are these, uh, you know, what are the songs that you listened to when you were dominating in high school? He's trying to bring those emotions up uh, so that it brings you into doing a certain action, which was the same things that you were doing in high school. uh, And the action ultimately creates the result. So he's just kind of working from the inside out to... Uh, get the result that he ultimately wants it's the brain's a fucking fascinating thing i mean i I remember doing stuff like that and and trying to work through stuff i remember i always used to when i was playing baseball and i I was never big i don't mind traveling but i want like i don't want to travel for eight months out of the year what you did for baseball that really wasn't my thing and i used to i was i turned into a big candle guy because uh, a lot of the scents that I would buy, not only did I enjoy, but they brought me back to being home. Uh, so it was like, you know, when I when I would get home from the day or I'd wake up in the morning and I would want to, you know, have my cup of coffee and, and kind of relax for the day before getting to the field, I'd always light a candle because it would just almost feel as though I, I would make this apartment in, you know, Roanoke, Virginia, you know, home, more home-like to me. So I'd enjoy my time there more. And so I always, I always you know, did stuff like that. And again, it's all, again, uh, you have mentioned throughout this podcast, it's all about those brain and those wirings and, and what that smell triggers in my brain and why it's making me happier because it makes me feel as though I'm home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing, but it would it, essentially, the, the moral of the story here in this podcast essentially is to, like you said prior to going into that little story about music, is that if you can wire your brain, to, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And you just have to be able to, you know, get it to a point. Seemingly, it makes it a lot easier if you try to do this before you're 35. Uh, Way but, easier. <laughs> yeah. But you got to get it to a point to where you can you can do certain things and wire it the way you want to wire it. I, t- I, the way I'm going to explain it here, and I'm, it's, it's the simplistic version, but that's why I'm here is to make things simplified for you guys when Sean speaks over your head. Is you, you know, when you're when, like when at my bar. If I had just started that bar, it's all, you know, it's not that many wires, you know, right? But if you actually went into the into Texas, Arizona right now here in Hoboken, New Jersey, and you lifted up the ceiling, you would see so many freaking wires up there, and 99% of them do absolutely nothing because it's just years and years and years of new technology going in there. And when you put the new technology in, they don't take, they take the old technology out. They just cut the wires and hook up the new ones. So it's just years and years and years and years of stuff um, that you don't you don't necessarily need, but it, it'd be a, a lot easier. You know, when you're trying to find a wire up there, I've tried to do it myself one sometimes. It I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. It's impossible. So, you know, I guess you know the younger you do it, the better. But uh, you know, trying to wire your brain to do the things that you want it to do uh, certainly. It seems to be the way to do it. I, I mean, I, I've done it without really knowing it. I, I certainly don't want to get too conscious of it because I don't want to be out there being like, okay, I need to wire my brain to do this. Uh, but 
it is it's an interesting thing it's interesting to dive it into into the really interesting and i'm gonna when i tweet out this podcast i'm gonna give the timestamp of when we talked about jared because it's a really interesting thought process to see actually why Jared is so good at what he does. Obviously, he has a personality, which is all all of it goes back to the brain. But he's got a great personality. He's got a great, you know, he is he. If you looked at Jared when he first started, you know, this this dork with a buzz cut, and now he, you know, he's done with, you know, he's got he's got he looks fantastic now. Real glow up for Jared. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, you have this 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 inner workings of this guy, and he's turned himself into this person. Uh, and you know he's he's one of the biggest one of the biggest voices in baseball. If you if, when you really anytime he speaks about any any you know team, you know whether positively or negatively, that whole fan base it reacts to it. And he's really done a great job. But you see these inner workings of why he is the way he is and why he is such a great podcast host uh, and why he's able to whoever whoever he has on the podcast, how he's able to do things. Uh, and have this immediate reaction to certain things. So I'm, I'm certainly going to tweet that out for those because these Jared Krabbis fans out there because it, it's I thought it was it was quite interesting to see how he does it from uh, from a neurological standpoint how he's able to just do all. I, I've seen him when I'm uh, just for a little quick story before we, sh- we wrap up here. I've seen him when I'm on the podcast. You'll see, you know I can watch him because we're on all on Zoom or whatever fucking website we use, and you know Tyler will be telling a story. And you'll see Jared almost zone out. And now looking back, it's because he's got that thing ready to when you're done with your story, uh, and he'll have it. He'll have it on cue, or ha- have like you know he's sitting there waiting with the soundboard to boo you, and then he's got you know someone on the phone that he's like, "Listen, talk to this guy." You know, and we got Will Millbrooks on the phone here talking about this story that relates to what Tyler was saying. And it's like, but it's immediate. It's it's not even you know. It, it never forced. Never you know. It's never like a tough form to do. Like I said, you just say things, and he's got it ready to go. And yep. then he's ready to move on to the next guy. He's ready to move on to the next point. And it's because, like you said, he's got this whole database. I mean, he wrote a book when he was in. I, I don't know how old he was when he was, but he's writing the book. But he wrote a book on himself. I think he's writing a new one. Let me uh, so, let me give you let me give you one more neuro bomb here to to close this it. out since we've really been able to. <laughs> really been able to do it this episode. Um, so you said that one of his things is he's being able to be really personable and social when he's when he's in these situations and he's in the podcast and stuff like that. <clears throat> Your social engagement system is regulated by, I think it's the 12th cranial nerve. It's called the vagus nerve, literally like Las Vegas, only spelt with an A and not an E. Actually, it's completely different. V-A-G-U-S, not A-S. <laughs> but the uh, make, making neural jokes, this is how brutal i am at this, <laughs> at this point uh, so so the vagus nerve it regulates your uh, regulates your social engagement system but the cool thing about the vagus nerve at least the cool thing to me is that it, it's directly connected to all of your or most of at least your internal organs so if you let's say like your you know kidneys having a problem it's going to send that signal through the vagus nerve up to your brain. And all of a sudden, like your social engagement system is going to be a little impaired. It's going to be a little off. So if Jared came on a podcast one day and he's just like, dude, like, you know, I don't, you're a little off today, man. Like you're not, you're not, you're not your usual self. Uh, you're not as personable or whatever. Uh, a lot of times it's because something under the surface has gone a little awry. Now it doesn't have to be something as aggressive as, 
uh, you know, kidney failure or something like that. You could have just eaten some some shit. Like you could have just eaten a bunch of ring dings or something. Uh, and what happens is it expands your stomach, which expands the fascia around it. Uh, and that fascia sends a, when it hits a certain point, it sends a signal through the cranial nerve. And then your social engagement system uh, is now off a little bit. So like if he's not eating well, he's not taking care of his body, if he's not healthy, which I've seen Jared, I met Jared, he seems like a pretty healthy, looks like he works out, looks like he's a you know fairly healthy dude. Like if he's not taking care of himself, he's not going to be, he's literally not going to be able to be very personable if, because if things are happening under the surface that aren't, that aren't working you know, or that are having a little bit of trouble or working a little stressed, uh, it's going to send that through that, met, through that nerve. It's going to activate his or deactivate his social engagement system. And that's why when we were working in the NBA and guys would come in and they would be like, dude, I think this guy's a little off today. Like swaggy P he was always like really, really personable. But if you had a day where he came in and he was just quiet, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, we got, we got vagal nerve, you know, down regulation. We got some problems here that, you know, it might not be anything crazy. Just he's got some stress in, in the system. Now we can back off of his, his workload for the day uh, and we can train him accordingly. And the same thing's happening. Like, in, in all of the world and all of business and all of content and all of production. That's it's vagal vagus nerve regulation. Well, that leads into something that I'm going to love to talk about, but we'll wait till next week for it. And I'll tease everyone with it. Guys, I hope you guys have a very Merry Christmas. Enjoy the, or if you celebrate, whatever the holiday you celebrate. I don't know if there's any other. It's Hanukkah, I think it's only three nights left or so. Yeah. Uh, but I hope you guys have a great holiday season. We will put out another episode prior to New Year's Eve. Uh, so tune in for that. And that's going to be, and tis the season for this, because I'm now curious about this with the, with the neuroscience, well, is when, when I'm hungover, I want to talk to nobody. But... The moment I have another beverage, <laughs> Patty Westside's back, and I'm very curious to see the the effects on out. You see, you see, shy people have a few drinks and they become not shy people. I'm very curious on how the that that does uh, how that affects the the vagus nerve or whatever the hell it is, and we'll see next week how exactly alcohol. Maybe even we'll maybe we'll dive into a few other drugs. Let's have some fun with it. <laughs> Come back on Tuesday. We'll be discussing meth and how it can <laughs> catapult your business into the stratosphere. <laughs> catapult. Uh, so, yeah, guys. Guys, I hope you had, seriously, though, I hope you guys have a great holiday. Um, and, and everyone travels safe. It's a big travel thing. I know here in New, in New Jersey, we're supposed to have some pretty aggressive rain. I think we're okay by Christmas Eve, so we, we shouldn't be traveling with any real problems. But um, I know that it's got like the deep freeze is coming or some crap. It's supposed to be the coldest Christmas we've had in like, like you know, 100 years or something like that. So I um, hope everyone has a, a safe and happy holidays. And uh, until next time, guys, we'll, we'll see you next. We'll see you later. Sorry, we're closed.